Welcome to the Power of the Cross with special guest minister, Lauren Larson. If the gifts are not second work, sat sitting atop the first work, and the first work has a strong foundation, sooner or later the weight and the power of the gifts will collapse in on the foundation of the character. And that's why we've seen so many failures in Christian lives. Because the character hasn't been built, even though the power of the Spirit's supernatural work has been flowing through them and doing things that are supernatural. But listen, can I remind you that the character of a gift doesn't indicate the character of the individual. Because the character of the gift is a gift of the Spirit. It's not a gift of Lauren. It's not a gift of Pastor Wilson. It's not a gift of Jimmy Swigert. It's a gift of the Spirit. And if that's a heavy load. And if it's not sitting on the right foundation, sooner or later it collapses the foundation. So our Baptist friends, and, and i got to say this too, when I talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, our, my Baptist friends and scholars are a lot closer to the foundational truth than my Pentecostal heritage is. But even they, now we've got to be honest here, they, they talk a good game about you know, being freed from sin and reliance upon the Spirit, but they don't really rely on the Spirit much. There's not a real, in men, some they do. In men like I've seen them, Adrian Rogers, Billy Graham, some of the great men that we've seen God use over the years uh, without the baptism with the Holy Spirit, uh, a Charles Spurgeon. My goodness, he was even a Calvinist. A Calvinist, I laughed when I studied him because he said uh, a Calvinist believes that some people are saved and some aren't. Some are, some are predestined and some aren't. And Spurgeon said, he said, I must not be a good Calvinist because I get up in the morning and I pray God that he would save the elect, those destined for salvation, and then I pray that he would elect some more. <laughs> but the whole point of it is we, okay, we have an opportunity to understand the work of the Spirit today and have the base right and have the gifts sitting atop the base right because of the message of the cross. Now, look, okay, I'm, I'm off my topic, but stick with me. Are you, are you following? Did I lose anybody? Are we okay? Acts 2, look at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. That was a sound. It was in the temple, and it was a sound. The upper room really uh, was probably not a house. The word oikos for temple and house are the same. And the the early disciples would go to the temple time and time again to pray. The reason I say that is because there's 3,000 people saved here in just a few seconds' time, and I don't care how big the house is, 3,000 people can't fit there. They couldn't have heard, seen, and observed what was going on if they were upstairs in an upper room that held, what, this size of a room? Get 120 people in there, where'd the 3,000 come from? 
So they were probably in Solomon's porch where Gentiles and Jews could go to pray. Uh, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house, Oikos, temple, house, dwelling, where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now notice two of the supernatural happenings in chapter 2 and verse 1. The sound as of a rushing mighty wind, and number 2, that the cloven tongues like as of fire sat upon each of them. Those supernatural gifts or signs were never repeated. You never saw these again. You never saw them at least recorded in Scripture again. The presence of the Holy Spirit is now coming into the world to do both the first work and the second work. And the sound of the mighty rushing wind is his coming. And the fire, the little tongues of fire, is representative of his coming. We didn't see that because from that point on, he never left. And, it, and I believe that Acts 2, 1 through 3 then shows us that born-again regenerative experience that we now can have under the terms of the new covenant that Jesus died to provide. From this moment on, I guarantee you that everybody that has ever been born again or saved legally by accepting Christ has been changed, body, soul, and spirit. They've been regenerated. Uh, they have been become the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God immediately began to sanctify them immediately began to change them. And every, I believe that all the people that accepted Christ, even if they weren't in the temple, at that moment were regenerated, born again, baptized into Christ. How is a person going to be baptized to Christ while he's still walking upon the earth? And he said, the, the Holy Spirit can't come until I leave. So once I leave, I'll send him to you. And in Acts 2.33, look over there, they ask him, what's going on? He said, therefore, Jesus, being by the right hand of God exalted, has received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost. Now, the promise of the Holy Ghost was his coming. Not just the baptism, but the first work, and then, secondly, the second work. Is everybody here with me? So what we as Pentecostals have to see is something that the Baptists have fought us over. Boy, I sure didn't mean to go to Grandma's house, but this is important because if we don't get, if we don't understand how the Holy Spirit works, both in salvation and sanctification, and then secondly, in service, and say we don't just need one or the other, we need it all, and we need it all working to be what we need to be and to do what we need to do. We need it all. And the Baptists and the Pentecostals have fought each other, and primarily the primary work is espoused by the Baptists, albeit incomplete, and the secondary work is espoused by Pentecost, albeit not even acknowledging the first work. I was amazed as I sat and listened, you know. But, okay, I used to, but uh, therefore, Jesus received the promise of the Holy Ghost, and he has shed forth this. 
when God said he would pour out of his spirit upon all flesh, he wasn't just talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He was talking about the ability of men and women, boys and girls who accepted Christ, to be regenerated, freed from the power of sin, and sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit, which created the right foundation for the gifts of the Spirit and the supernatural working. Both, not either or. Both, not just one. And the, and the Pentecostal world stopped trusting in Christ and the cross and placed their faith in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. How many of us were taught, well, if you, if you have a sin problem, then just go in the corner and speak in tongues for an hour. That's a gift. It'll edify you. It will refresh you. But only faith in the cross frees us from sin. And what's more important, the work that frees us from sin or the gift that wins people to the Lord? If you were God, which would, which would be most important? Okay, let me help you. It's got to be the first because you can't get to heaven without the first. And God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to remain the same, and that's what I really came to talk about today. But we've been run off course by a truth, not by error. Pentecost is true. Pentecostal denominations have a lot of truth we need to listen to. But when it comes to the working of the Holy Spirit, Pastor, we got to get this right. And the message of the cross took the biggest Pentecostal in the whole wide world in front of everybody and made a fool of him. And said, there's something that needs to be fixed here. And to his credit, he sought God until he began to see what it was. And then God showed him the reason that the character couldn't stand the gifts is that you weren't counting on me. And the answer that you seek is found in the cross. The solution that you seek is found in the cross. The answer that you seek is found only in the cross. Not in the baptism. Not in our Pentecostal heritage. Not in the salvation experience. Not in our Baptist heritage. We have to understand them and let it all come together. Isn't this exciting? This is a challenge. You've got a lot of things to share with people that will make them mad. And I get it. And you say, well, Brother Larson, what, I, I'm just, tr look, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a big guy in the world. I'm just telling you that what Jesus did took this alcoholic, took this drunk, took that meth addict back there. And the power of the Holy Spirit at salvation was so dynamic that I couldn't be a drunk anymore. I couldn't be a drug addict anymore. I didn't want to be dominated by cigarettes and Copenhagen and Quaaludes. He didn't want to be dominated by meth anymore. He wanted to be dominated by something that came alive because the Holy Spirit at salvation did something in him that nobody could shut up. You have he quickened. 
You see, so, so back, I didn't mean to bounce you all around, but Acts 2, 1 through 3 is the coming of the Holy Spirit for regeneration, baptism into Christ, and freedom from sin. We never see the signs and the wonders repeated because they're not necessary. He, he comes now into every heart without that. But on that day, the presence of God seen in fire, the presence of God seen in the sound of the wind. It wasn't wind. There was no wind. That could have been explained naturally. It'd be like you and I sitting right here and no wind coming but the sound of the wind flipping through the tent it wasn't the wind it wasn't because that could have oh that's just the wind no it was the sound of the wind and supernatural fire rep, fire and wind is representative of the holy spirit that's when he came to begin baptizing people into christ freeing them from the power of sin and taking up residence within him and from that day forward to this everybody that's ever been saved has been the recipient of the holy spirit who set us free from sin and began instantly the sanctification work but look at verse 4, Acts 2. And, secondarily, conjunction, new subject, new thought, secondary work. And, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Now this phenomenon we see again, not just here in Acts 2, but we see it again when men were baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts 10. And in Acts 19. In Acts 8, it's implied with the Samaritans, but not clearly spoken of. And in Acts 9, when Paul was baptized with the Holy Spirit, uh, it was plain that it was a second subsequent work. But we don't have any knowledge of tongues. So Acts 2, Acts 10, and Acts 19 say that when men who were first saved are baptized with the Holy Spirit, they speak with tongues. So that is a repetition of ongoing activity that never stopped. So that's why the second subsequent work is defined as a result, as being a second subsequent work because of time. They were saved here. Time passed. They were filled over here. Acts 2, they were saved first and they were filled later. Acts 8, the Samaritans were saved here and when Peter and John came, it could have been as much as a month later, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Time. Acts 9, Paul is saved on the road to Damascus, but he's filled when Ananias comes and he lays hand on him and he's healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 10 is just like Acts 2, and those in Cornelius' house were instantly saved and instantly filled. There was really no separation of time, just like in Acts 2. But in Acts 19, the Ephesian disciples, no matter how you define them, whether you feel like they were saved before Paul met them or they were saved on the day that Paul proclaimed Jesus to them, even if you believe the secondarily role where they were saved on that day when Paul said you need to believe in Jesus, time passed before he took them to get them water baptized. How long does it take you to introduce Jesus to 12 men? Well, say they do that at 12 o'clock. Well, then they take 12 men down to the river and they're water baptized. How long does it take to baptize 12 men? Half an hour. So if the river was right there, they got saved at 12, 1230, then he laid hands on them and they began speaking with others' tongues. The 
passing of time is a confirmation that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is a second subsequent work and not salvation. Are you following me? The passage of time is the proof and the evidence that we have. I'm not going to argue with you about tongues because in those five examples that we have of uh, people being baptized with the Holy Spirit, out of the five, three times they spoke with tongues. And in order to have a doctrine in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be confirmed. But in every case, there was a passage of time in Acts 8 and 9 and 19, and Acts 2 and Acts 10, it was instant but it was also neat in Acts 11 when Peter was called on the carpet for going to preach to the Gentiles. And they said, you went and preached to Gentiles. You had a meal with Gentiles. And that was 10 years after Pentecost. So they still didn't get who could be saved. They didn't realize that Gentiles could even be saved. 10 years. So we obviously don't know everything once we get baptized with the Holy Ghost. But Peter said this to them. He said, it happened to them, Acts 10, just like it happened to us. So it happened to them instantaneously. They were saved and baptized. And Acts 10, Peter says, just like it happened to us, they were saved and instantly baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues. And then they were water baptized. So we can't argue about the two. Why would we argue about the two elements of what the Holy Spirit does? Why wouldn't we just say, Jesus, I need it all. I was dead in trespasses and sins. But I need to understand how the Holy Spirit works on the foundation of sanctification and freedom from sin. And I need to get something done for God. But it can't be done in the power of the flesh. It's got to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, sister, we are combining what we have separated and what has caused division. And we're telling our Baptist brethren... You've got the idea of the coming of the Spirit, right? But you're still pushing away the supernatural power of the Spirit, both in sanctification and in service. And Pentecostals, we've got to say, brethren, you're right. A person is saved and then later filled with the Holy Spirit, and you need that power for service because it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing, not the person, not the gift, not the talent, not the ability. And now we live in a time frame, Pastor, if we'll preach it, to where some people will be founded and sanctified and progressively ongoing, changed and filled with the Spirit with a supernatural power to carry out the gift of evangelism. The baptism with the Holy Spirit was given for the purpose of evangelism, not to create denominations that felt themselves higher and better than those who were not filled. Thank you for listening to The Power of the Cross. We pray this message is a blessing to you. You can access our sermons at GrenadaChurch.com. We also ask you for your financial support in helping us reach the world with the gospel. You can donate to our ministry by secure means at GrenadaChurch.com and click Donate. Now, back to the message. God never gave His gifts so that we could wear stripes that made us better than other people. 
Amen, Brother Larson. Preach on, brother. Now, see what a question will do in a teaching session? Do, are, do you get... If I, if I had one heartbeat for my ministry, you just heard it. For all that I've been through and all that I've found and all... If I could bring this message of the twin work of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ and help them to understand it so that the Baptist starts relying upon the Spirit for sanctification and service and so that the Pentecostal starts relying on the Holy Spirit for sanctification and service, then I will have completed my function and the reason why God saved this drunk on the day that he did in January 1986. Because this message can unite those two ideas and bring the body of Christ who will listen to supernatural power both for sanctification and for service. So I just gave you Lauren Larson's heartbeat. I didn't mean to, but it's your fault. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Why do we still stay in bondage? Okay, good. That's what we came to study today. Let's talk about that. Did you hear the question? Why are we still in bondage if the power of the Spirit is with us? Okay, good. Thank you. I'll now get off my soapbox and come back to where we came here for this morning. We came here for you and for me and all that. To understand why people fail. To understand what we're up against in the sanctification process. We've talked about the truth that the Holy Spirit will work in us. Right? Amen? Amen? And we believe that faith in Christ in the cross is the only thing that can transform the believer into the image of Christ. Is everybody with me on that? I don't need to teach on that much. I'll, I'll refer to it. But with our faith in Christ, not through our works, the power of the Spirit works. But let's take a look at what he has to work on to answer your question long term. Uh, first of all, we were dead in trespasses and sins. There was absolutely nothing about us. But we have been, we are a creature, even though a new creation in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean that God instantly perfects. wish I could snap my fingers. In. It's not that he could instantly perfect us. So let's take a look at what was happening in us prior to salvation. Verse 2, wherein in time past you walked. Now the term walked simply means to order our life. It was our former lifestyle. This is how we behaved. This is how we thought. Well, what formed the basis of your thinking? What formed the basis of your attitude about life? What shaped you? Because from the moment that you were born, you were being shaped. Okay, let's stop there for a minute and let me take you back to Eden. Let me take you back to the garden. Adam and Eve were perfect. Amen? God created them perfect. But yet he met with them every morning. Why? To talk, okay? Hey, Adam, how's it going, buddy? What'd they talk about? The garden? Okay, I'll go with that. God probably showed them how to do the work. That would take one morning. But he met them every morning. 
Okay, what would, what would God want His creation to know? Now get this. He creates a creation that can choose to love Him, that has to learn of Him. And every day, He is implanting information about His nature, His character, what He thinks is right and wrong, daily, little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept, because this highest creation, brilliant as it is, is still a learning creation. You have to learn Him. So God, day after day after day after day, is coming and talking about what is right and what is wrong, what is correct, what is my nature, what is this get to know me. Does this sound familiar? And so the, the, they weren't trying to get saved. They weren't trying to get better. They weren't creating first denominational church. They were getting to know the character and nature of the Creator, the God that created them. And he said, listen, you know, the one thing I don't want you to do is stop listening to me and go over there and eat that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because I want you to daily learn from me what's right and what's wrong. I want you to forever have an everlasting... And I am so infinite and I am so full of knowledge and power and wonder that it's going to take eternity for you to get to know me. So you don't need the tree. But you do need me. And you need me meeting with you every day, explaining to you, showing you, revealing you, me, to you. And when you get my information, you get the information about me, guess what you're going to be like? You're going to be like me. So I made a highest creation that could choose to love and that had to learn. And now the learning capacities are to, in the original plan of God, is to plant the characteristic and the nature of God into the person of the highest creation. And so his sons and daughters begin to look like him and talk like him and work like him and walk like him. Perfect, but not having knowledge. And serpent comes along and says, dude, you can bypass all those morning visitations. Just go have a bite of the apple. And Eve was deceived. Now that means she really thought that it would be better for her to go over there and eat of the tree. She thought it would be pleasing to God. She was deceived. Scripture is plain on that. Adam, he just, yeah, okay. He just, again, God created him with a free moral agency. Because man was to be a learner. And if you're loved, it has to be freely given, free moral agency. Who wants a husband? Come home. Hi, honey. I love you. You are so good to me. Thank you. I love you. Appreciate you. Good night. Is dinner ready? I'll take out the guy. Who wants that? Right? Ladies, don't you really want a man with passion? Honey, woo! Wow! I'm glad I'm home. You're looking good today, girl. I embarrass my wife all the time coming home and saying like that. And she gives me that, oh boy, here he goes again. But inside, I know she's saying, oh, I'm glad he's talking to me like that. Because we are passionate creations. 
God wanted your passion to be towards Him. So He, I, and maybe this is too much sanctified imagination, but I believe that God wanted to implant His character over time into the first creation. But when they fell, they became open to different resources of learning. And that different resource of learning began to impact what they became. So they became dead to God. And they began to walk, first of all, three influences here, according to the course of the world. Now, we got a, the first family didn't really do that because Cain is the author of the world's society. What was Cain's key feature? Why did he leave the first family and separate? Why? Why did he? What made Cain different than Abel? Okay, Cain and Abel for many years brought the same sacrifice, the sacrifice God had showed him to bring. One day Cain brings a what? So what he did was interrupt the one way that God had chosen to maintain relationship with his fallen creation. And Cain said, I don't want the sacrifice. I got me another way. That's flesh. You're exactly right. And God comes to him and he says, Cain, fix it. Fix it. Because if you don't, sin's going to have dominion over you and you're going to be a mess, son. Fix it. God looked at him and said, fix it. The first time he did it, God said, fix it. What did Cain do? He got angry at his brother. He killed him. And then he fled from the presence of the Lord and went out and established, listen, a world without God. Genesis 4. That is the creation of the world system. So the world system at its core is men who operate in the flesh, depend upon themselves with no relationship with God whatsoever. And they've uh, come up with a way of life. They come up with their own idea of right and wrong. They talk about God, but really they're their own God. And you see music and ranching and brass working, the making of civilization, all taking place under the guidance, not of God, but of Cain, a man who doesn't want God. So the world are those who have made up their own version of God, who really are their own gods, and who live without God on a daily basis. That's the world's system. And guess what you grew up in? And guess what they did to that creation that was designed to learn? They taught you, baby. They taught you through their books. They taught you through their television. They taught you through their movies. They taught you through religion. They taught, and you are a learning creation, and you sopped it all up, and then you said, oh, it must be right, because everybody's doing it, and you walked according to the course of the world, and in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit, the thinking of the world became dominant, and from the day you were born, you started receiving their view of what life is, and their view is life without God. It's all about me. 
me, it's me, not you, me. Life is about me, me. If you do good for me, then I'll take you. But if you don't do good for me, and you're out of here. Worldly thinking, because me becomes the predominant theme of the world. Me. The guys with the most toys wins. The guy with the biggest money and the most of this and that. The course of the world. So the first influence that taught you was how the world thinks. And you've had that from day one. Secondly, I'll hurry. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now that worketh in the children of disobedience. Who was your second teacher? Satan. Satan. Powers of darkness. Remember, because you are a spirit being, that spirit, if you will, has an opening that can never be closed. Your spirit has an opening. That's how God speaks to you, to your spirit. But that's how Satan speaks to you too. Because he's a spirit being. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, try the spirits to see whether or not they are of God because many false prophets have come into the world so false spirits work at times through people but sometimes they just operate and throw things into your brain that you accept as correct. Satan has been your teacher. And he has corrupted the soul and the spirit of man. So, we have two major teachers. The world, and they meet with us every day and teach us. And Satan, who never stops, lying, deceiving. And he's not going to point us to God. He'll gladly point us to religion but not to relationship with Christ. Why, can I, why could I put up a copy of, uh, if I was to, a Buddha temple, or I could put up a, a mosque on the courtroom lawn, but I can't put up a nativity scene? Why? How come I can take a Quran freely into the prison, but a New Testament is starting to get... Looked at, why can a Quran be handed to our soldiers in our service? And I can't any longer go and take a Bible to a chaplain and say, hand it out. Used to be in World War II, every, every private got a small New Testament to put in his pocket. Now it's illegal for us to even give our servicemen. Where did that come from? Again, the spirit of the world and the spirit of Satan taking the fallen creation of God and teaching it wrong concepts. And us thinking, oh, that's right, yeah. That's why I feel attracted to men when I'm a man. That's why I feel that I'm attracted to women if I'm a woman. That's why I feel that I should, as a man, dress up in a woman's clothing and walk around and have hormones and grow breasts and cut my beard off and where does that come from powers of darkness deceiving the creation that is a learning creation now i'm working on your question and when we come back we'll talk about the flesh a long time ago a roman jailer asked the important question to the apostle paul what must i do to be saved paul's answer was immediate and to the point Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. 
We have to realize that our sin separates us from God. And the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what did God do about this? He made it simple. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you'll just take a moment and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Accept Him as your Savior, resolving your mind to make Him Lord of your life and follow Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength as long as you live. If you've made a decision for Christ today, we would love to hear from you and send you a free Bible. Send us a message to info at GrenadaChurch.com. Thank you once again for listening to The Power of the Cross. If you have prayer requests, questions, or comments, email us at radio at GrenadaChurch.com or send them to the Lighthouse at P.O. Box 2441, Grenada, Mississippi, 38902. That's P.O. Box 2441, Grenada, Mississippi, 38902. God bless you and have a wonderful week.